few days ago, I received, well, not a few days, a little longer than that. I received a notice on my computer. Maybe you've gotten one of these once in a while. It said there was an update available for my computer. So I did what I usually do. I'm not sure what you do when you get these. I did what I usually do, which was ignore it about 16 times. Every time I turn it on, it says there's an update available, and every time it says that, I click ignore, later, ignore, later, mostly because I realized uh, that sometimes they need some bugs to work out before they do this, so I wait till they get the bugs worked out, and then I download the update. But eventually, I clicked on saying install update, and when I did that, it didn't install the update, it took me to another page. How many of you know the page that it took me to? Took me to the page of something called Terms and Conditions. And then there is this lengthy screen full of small type that have terms and conditions that you can either click agree or disagree. Now I want to know honestly how many of you who actually reads the terms and conditions in a situation like that when you have that option? Who reads? Put your hand high. I want to know because you are future parliamentarians. I want to be aware you are data people. I know who to call upon when I need someone to read a whole lot of information that no one else wants to read. Most of us don't read through the terms and conditions. But the truth is, whenever we have a product, an update, or things like that, the truth is, what happens is, you have these terms and conditions, and you can click on agree, and you can get the update they want, or the information they want, or you can click on disagree, and they won't give you the update that you want. It would be impossible for me to go and say, okay, you know what, I, some of these terms are okay with me, but some of them aren't. So I'm going to take a trip out to Cupertino, California, or out to Google's headquarters, and I'm going to say, look, uh, I just got some concerns. You know, I got your terms and conditions. Thank you for sending those out to me. I just want to discuss some of them. You know, uh, A, B, C, I'm good with, but we need to discuss D if I'm going to download your, your software. I mean, that would be foolish, right? No one, they're not going to answer the door with that kind of thing. I need to at least, I need to either agree with the terms of conditions or not and download it or not because the maker of the device had said, these are the terms and conditions and if you want to agree with them, we will give you what we are offering. And so we do it. We often just acquiesce and say, I agree and just download it and just give it to me and we don't know what we have agreed to. That's a different message. My message today is focused on this idea that you've got to agree to someone else's terms if you're going to download that software or that item. But we don't always live this way with the rest of our life. With the rest of our life, we don't like to often agree to someone else's terms and conditions. It begs the question, who gets to set the terms of conditions in your life? Because when it comes to purchasing a product, sometimes we're like, okay, agree, no problem, give it to me. But in the rest of our life, we're not often like that. In the rest of our life, we don't want someone else setting the terms. In the rest of our life, many people live more like 1969 song by Frank Sinatra popularized by Frank Sinatra, sung by many people, and I'm not going to try and sing it for you. 
But here's some of the lyrics. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my way. way. And that often sums up the way we often want to live the rest of our life. Not according to someone else's terms and condition, but my way. I did it my way. And this morning, I want to talk to you about some of the terms and conditions when it comes to not necessarily our relationship to a product or something like that, but our relationship to God. When it comes to your life, who gets to set the terms and conditions? When it comes to your relationship with God, who gets to set the terms and conditions? This morning, we come to a passage of Scripture where Paul, who's written this book of Romans that we've been studying for the past number of weeks, Paul, writing to this church at Rome in the first century, talks about some of the terms and conditions of salvation. In fact, maybe this is the original terms and conditions statement. He talks about some of the terms and conditions of what it is to know God and what it is to follow God. And so this morning, I want to look at four realities regarding the terms of knowing God. Maybe you come into this room this morning, and maybe you're a Christian who's been following God all your life, and this will be a bit of a review for you, or maybe a bit of a challenge to what you thought were some of the terms that aren't really terms of following God. But maybe you come into this room this morning, and you want to know God. You have a desire to know more about God. But you'd like to know clearly what it is exactly that's being asked of you. What it is exactly that would be involved in having a relationship with God, in knowing God. And so I want to talk this morning about quickly about four realities when it comes to knowing God. Four realities of the terms of knowing God. The first one is this. First reality is this. Many people want God but they want him on their terms. Many people want God, but they want him on their terms. Given the choice of knowing and being friends with powerful, influential, loving, and good people or not, I would choose to be friends with such people. Not a huge stretch. In the same way, given the choice to be friends with a loving and powerful and influential and gracious God, many people would say, sure, I'd like to be friends. I'd like to know and be known by that person. However, the terms of how that takes place is where things get sticky. The terms of knowing God, sometimes many people would say, yeah, I want to know God, but I want it on my terms. So we come to a passage of scripture this morning where Paul is writing to a group of people that there's no doubt they want to know God. In fact, they are willing to do many things in their life. They are willing to make many sacrifices in order to know God. But Paul confronts them and says, you may want to know God, but you're setting the terms of knowing God. And so he confronts the people, uh, Jewish people, in Romans chapter 9, verse 30 
I'm going to read through 10.4 at the beginning here. And uh, this is what the Apostle Paul says. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but, the, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it, as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a, stumbling, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear wit them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let me give you a couple verses in a different translation. I want to give you verses chapter 10, 2, and 3 in the New Living Translation, which I think helps us understand what Paul's saying a little bit easier. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Paul's saying in this passage that the Jewish people wanted God. They wanted righteousness. They wanted to be right with God. But they were just going about it the wrong way. Now, to be fair, they were going about it in a way that at one point God had kind of, God had outlined. In fact, Paul, a little later, will say that Moses said, keep the law and live. And so the Israelites Paul's talking to and the Jewish people Paul's talking to say, that's what we'll do. We'll keep the law and we'll live. Paul's saying the only problem was God wasn't done talking. It's kind of like God started a sentence and they said, we're going to run with that. We're going to keep the law and God will bless us. And, and Paul said, wait, 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 God wasn't done talking. There's more. It would be like you going to work and your boss said, hey, I need you to complete a report. And you just say, no problem. And you run to your desk and you start typing out a report without finding out what report and how to do it and when it's due. They didn't have all the information. They had passion to do it but not according to knowledge. Paul says the passion is good, but there's more knowledge that's needed. It's a little bit like the story of the teacher who handed out the test and said, you know, I want you to, when I hand out the test, you're going to get your test, and I want you to put your name at the top, and I want you to read through the test, and then I want you to start and then complete the test. And so the teacher hands out all the tests to all the students and some of the students get it, and they put their name on the top, and they just start working away at that first problem. And they're working away at it, trying to get it, and it's hard, and it's difficult, but they eventually get it, and they eventually move on to problem number two. And they're working their way through the test, but eventually they look beside them, and they see some of their other students, their colleagues, put their pencil at the top of their desk, turn the paper over, and wait as if they're done. And they think, well, how... 
Could they possibly get that done so quickly? But they keep working through the test and working through the test and trying to get it done. And finally, they get to the bottom of the test and they get to the last uh, question on the test and they read the last question on the test. And it says, you do not have to take this test. (laughs) Having read through this entire test, you will receive an A on the exam. You may turn it over, put the pencil on the top of your desk, and the teacher will give you and already has given you an A on the test. And the Jewish people that Paul's talking to, he's saying it's kind of like that. You're really passionate about doing things for God, but you're lacking a knowledge of what the real terms are that God offers you. Passion for knowing God, and maybe you're here on a Sunday morning in August on a beautiful day. You want to know more about God. But wanting to know more about God, wanting to be in relationship with God, is different than saying, God, how can I know you more? What are the terms? Passion is good, but passion alone, Paul's saying, zeal is good, but zeal alone is not enough. Be like you and I sitting on our couch watching the Olympics this past week, if you've been watching them, sitting with our bag of chips on the couch watching Michael Phelps collect his 25th gold medal. Say, I could do that. I just, need, I, just need, I just need to want to enough. I, if I was passionate enough and I set my mind to it, I could probably have 25 gold medals. Setting aside the perfect God-given swimming body that Michael Phelps has, we would, even having that, still have a passion that lacks the knowledge to accomplish what we'd like to accomplish. And the truth is, You can want to know God, and many people want to know God, but they want it on their own terms. They want it on their own terms. But what Paul says is the first reality is that terms and conditions of knowing God is wanting to know God is not enough. Just a zeal or a passion is not enough. Contrary to what our culture says, the truism, that sincerity, if you just believe something sincerely, well, then that's enough. That's Paul saying that's not true. There's more to it than just believing something sincerely, just believing in anything, and that is enough. The second point, the second reality it leads us to is this. God wants you, but on his terms. God wants you, but on his terms. As much as you might want God, I promise you God wants you more. As much as you might think, look, I'm sitting in a church on a Sunday, beautiful morning. I could be doing a hundred other things. There's other things that need to be done. There's other things I could be doing. I'm sitting here. I obviously want to know God. I promise you God wants you more than you want him. As much as you might want God, God wants you more. You say, Pastor Rick, how do you know that? Because I know that God created you and he didn't have to. And it's not the other way around. Well, you didn't create him. He created you. He gave you life. He gave you every good blessing that you enjoy in this world. He gave it to you. And if he gave it to you, why wouldn't he want to know you? Because I know that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that you might be reconciled and have a relationship with God. So what I know is that as much as you might want to know God, he wants to know you 
more. He wants to be in relationship with you even more than you want to be in relationship with him. But he has certain terms and a certain way that that takes place. Let's continue in our reading. Romans chapter 10, picking up in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul says these are the terms that God lays out. These are the terms that God lays out. Have you ever tried to read the terms and conditions on, say, some of the coupons that you get in the mail today? They're not exactly clear. These are some of the ones you might get. And you can see in the big print, save $20, 50% off, $10 off, buy one, get one free. And then lines of fine print that qualify that. And often that's the case. You know, buy one, get one. The buy one, get one free one is my favorite as I was reading through that. Because you can't see the fine print on that, but on the bottom it says, uh, one coupon per customer per purchase excludes, and so the pictures of hamburgers and chicken and drinks, right? Excludes footwear, firearms, and ammunition. Um, <laughs> So, if you wanted a burger and a gun, I guess it's not working that way. I don't know what that is about. But, uh, but anyway, fine print on these things are, are often there. And it's there. So, they're not clear. It's not clear what's being given. It's not clear what's being offered. But that's not the case with God. Because in Romans 10, we see God's clear terms. They are clear. They are understandable. They are there for everybody. And they are... Simple. Romans 10.9. If you were going to memorize one verse out of today's passage, I would recommend Romans 10.9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's God's terms. All the difficult things you may have heard, all the things that someone may have told you, this is what you need to know God, this is what you need to be a Christian, this is what you need to follow Jesus, it comes down to Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the terms. Simple, clear, understandable. Confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord. 
believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It may sound like two things, but it's really just one thing. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, when you believe in your heart that Jesus is raised from the dead, when you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, well, that's going to come out your mouth. So you confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. It's an overflow of who you are and what you believe. And God says, if you just put your faith in Jesus, that's all it takes to be saved. That's the only term and condition. There's no fine print on the coupon. All these things throughout church history that are sometimes added to salvation. Paul says, this is it. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. See, our belief, and when you believe, why is it Jesus raised from the dead? Well, if you believe he's raised from the dead, you also believe in his life, death, and resurrection. So it's the simplest confession you could make. If I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, well, I believe he came, I believe he lived, I believe he died, and I believe God rose him from the dead. It's the simplest uh, expression of Christian belief. And the second one, confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, that sounds simple, but what you're basically saying is Jesus is Lord of all. In fact, what you're doing in that moment is identifying Jesus as God. The word Lord, kurio, was the Greek word from the Hebrew translation of Yahweh. So basically what you're saying is Jesus is the same as God. He's Lord. He's God of all. And Paul says if that's your confession, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. It's personal confession. It overflows out of our mouth. Some of you just... I've been watching a lot of the Olympics this past week. Maybe you haven't, and that's okay. But uh, some of you may have seen the synchronized divers this past week of uh, Steele Johnson and David Bodia, who dove and got a silver medal. And I didn't know anything about these two guys before because I'm not big into synchronized diving. Maybe some of you are. Maybe that's your passion. Um, but I knew nothing about synchronized. I just watch them and go, yeah, that looks good. That doesn't look good, right? <laughs> I would call that synchronized. That's not synchronized. But these two guys afterwards, I did pay attention when afterwards, Steele Johnson said, you know, this is all great, but it's all because of, you know, it's all glory to God and my faith is in Jesus Christ and that's what really matters. So I went back and looked at some other quotes of Steele Johnson and after they made the Olympic team, uh, he had a quote that said, uh, that said, my identity is in Christ, not in the flips we are doing. And David Budia, his partner, said, if I represent a good God, I need to be that visual representation of him all the time, not just when I feel like it. So I say that to say this. When you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, when you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, it overflows out of your mouth. And that's what confessing it with your mouth is. That it's going to overflow. It's going to be part of who we are it's going to be part of, this is, this is who I am. And so Paul says, when you believe in your heart and you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's clear. It's readily available to everyone. That's what he's saying about this ascend, up to, ascend to heaven or descend to the abyss. He's basically saying, look, you don't have to say who's going to ascend up to heaven. Who's going to, to be good enough, to be holy enough, to, to be able to reach God. Paul said, nope, you don't have to do that. 
You don't have to go down into the abyss. You don't have to say, who's going to sacrifice enough? Who's going to die enough? Can I, can, I, can I die enough? Can I sacrifice enough so that I can meet God? Paul says, no, you don't have to do that. He's readily available right with you. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you'll be saved. It's a simple message. It's a simple gospel. And so God wants you even more than you want him. But those are the terms. The third thing is this. The third reality is this. When you and I insist on our terms, God's terms become a roadblock. When you and I insist on our terms to knowing God, then God's terms become a roadblock. And that's what was going on with the Jewish people. They said, you know what? We want to know God and we're going to get to know him this way. And Paul said, but this is what God says. You've got to confess Jesus as Lord. And they said, we don't want to confess Jesus as Lord. We'll do all these works. We'll do all these actions. We'll do all these good things. But we don't want to confess Jesus as Lord. And Paul says, well, then God's terms are going to become a roadblock for you because those are the terms. It's a little bit like driving around this time of year and you see all the construction uh, on the roads uh, it's, uh, and, and you're driving around and if you're like me, sometimes you'll come across a sign like this and it's road closed and detour. Sometimes it's a sign that says no through traffic or residents, excuse me, residents only. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'll come to one that's, it's blocking half the road. You know, the half you're supposed to turn on and they left half of it open for the residents to get in. You know, and I really want to go down that road. And I look, and there's no cop. <laughs> and as far as I can see down that road, I don't see construction going on. And so, I, in my mind, I'm going, well, maybe they just left the sign up. Or, you know, that construction's probably further down than the turn I need to make. Well, you know, it probably doesn't apply to me is what I'm really saying. And so, look, I'm a rule follower, so I don't make that turn and go down that road. And I've never found out what would happen if I do. But here's what I'm guessing. That if I make that turn and I go down that road, I'm going to run into either a construction vehicle or a police officer that says, didn't you see the sign? You can't come down this way. And if I want to go down and get to where I go, even though I had zeal and passion to get to my direction, now if I want to get to my destination, I have to give up my way of getting there and I have to go the direction laid out by the signs. And sometimes we want to commit so hard to our way of getting to God. No, I, look, I've done all these good works. God's going to have to let me in. Look, I've done all this good stuff. God's going to have to, you know, God's good with me because look, compared to those other people, I'm great. God, of course, is going to like me. We want our own terms. But if we're really going to know God, at some point we're going to have to say, God, it's your terms because if I insist on my own terms, they'll become a roadblock. The term Paul uses is stumbling block. He's talking about Jesus. Ultimately, the way to God is through faith in Jesus. That's what Paul was talking about. This faith expressed to an internal belief in Jesus' resurrection and lordship. Jesus will either be a stumbling block or a cornerstone. He's one or the other. 
He's either going to be a stumbling block or a roadblock or a cornerstone. See, that's the thing about a rock, right? It can be an obstacle in your way or it can be the way to get to where you're going. The same rock that's the foundation for the house to stand on can be an obstacle in our way. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying Jesus is either going to be a stumbling block or a cornerstone for you. And so because what you have to believe and confess are difficult for us at times, because you ask the question, why would anyone want to go their own way? I ask that question. It seems simple. 10-9, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. That's pretty simple. Why would anyone want to insist on their own terms? The truth is, because even though it's simply laid out, it's not easy. Because to confess Jesus as Lord is to give up control. To believe that God raised him from the dead is to put faith and trust in something that many will find quite incredible or even uncredible. And so at times what we do, we insist on our own way, we find ourselves bargaining with God. I'll give you lordship over this area of my life, but I want to maintain control over this area of my life. God, I like what you have to say about the way you love me, but I really don't want to love my neighbor. I like the honoring my parents, but I really want to decide the rules for my own sexuality. Or maybe I don't have a problem with the biblical sexuality part, but I really can't honor my parents. We don't want to give complete wardship. We don't want to love and show compassion to all the people God wants us to. And when we do that, we're insisting on our terms of agreement. We are insisting and saying, God, I want my terms of agreement. I want to know you on my terms, not on your terms. Because God's terms are, Jesus is Lord. Well, if I want to maintain control over all these things, Jesus isn't Lord. He's something else, but he's not Lord. At least I don't believe that he's Lord. At least my life doesn't evidence that he's Lord. We try and control and change the terms of the confession. We want to make it sometimes, the way we act, we want to make it, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is a great teacher. Or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus was a nice guy. Or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is someone you should follow. Or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is helpful and can be helpful to you. What we're really doing is changing the terms. Because the terms are, Jesus is Lord. And that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? It's easy. It's simple. It's clear. But it's not easy. Because what it means is, God, you are in control. You're Lord. I will trust you not only with all that's going on in this world, but all that's going on in my life. And those are the terms God offers. When we insist on our own terms, God's terms become a roadblock or a stumbling block for us. And finally, the fourth reality when it comes to the terms of knowing God, what are the term limits? What are the term limits? Well, the first thing we need to understand is Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
That's pretty broad. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in that case, there are no term limits. Everyone who wants it can have it. And you might say, what about the people? How do they hear about it? Well, come back next week. We're going to talk about that in the next passage. There's a little bit of responsibility you have there too. But really the terms are, Paul says, anyone and everyone, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's for you. It's for you. So there's no term limits when it comes to that. I guess the only limits are that God will not be patient forever. The scriptures tell us that, but has given us this time to respond to him. So he has given you this life. He has given you today. He has given you this morning. He has given you this moment to respond. I guess the only thing God's terms have in common with some of our terms today is that it's a limited time offer. It will either be limited by the number of days you and I have on this earth or when God says enough in the earth and time as we know it ends with Jesus coming back again. The term limits are up. Either way, you and I have a limited time to respond to God in his terms and in his love of what he offers. So these are the terms. This is what God offers to you. The question is, are you going to accept what God offers on his terms or are you going to continue to insist that even though you want to know God, you want to do it on your own terms. The truth is that uh, we all have a responsibility if we want to know God and if we want to be in relationship with him to respond to the offer he gives. These two chapters of Romans I mentioned last week are some of the hardest chapters in the entire book and it's because of this idea, and maybe you're familiar with these theological terms, of sovereignty and free will or predestination and free will. Some of you are aware of those terms and you're like, well, where do, you know, where do we stand on that sovereignty and free will? Is it God deciding who's going to be saved or is it us choosing to be saved? And at Mount Hope, I think we would, we would say most of us, many of us, uh, me as a pastor, anyway, would say, yes, that's the answer. It, it, sovereignty, God is sovereign, and free will. God is in control, and you have a responsibility. Uh, God knows what's going to happen and is in control of everything, and you have a responsibility to choose, and God knows what that choice is going to be. So there's sovereignty and there's free will, and you and I have the opportunity and the privilege to choose. See, God is in control. It's a little bit like when you're, you may be on a cruise ship. Some of you may have been on a cruise ship. And you have a lot of options on the cruise ship. You can have dinner by the pool or you can have dinner in one of the restaurants or you can uh, you know, decide to go on this adventure or that adventure or go to this show or that show or do what you want. But there's a captain that's steering that boat and it is going in the direction the captain is steering at. And you and I can make all the decisions we, we make, but the boat is going to the de- destination the captain has chosen. 
in this little earth of a cruise ship and universe that we're living in, we can make all kinds of decisions and choices while we are on it and a part of it, but the captain has already chosen the direction of the ship. So yes, God is in control and he's sovereign and he's moving and you and I have responsibilities to choose. And so none of us can get to heaven and come to God's presence and say, it wasn't my fault. None of us can say, well, God, it's on you because it's our responsibility. God has given to us to choose. So will it be God's way or my way? Will it be Romans 10.9 or Burger King? Slogan from long ago, right? You can have it your way. Or the latter lines of that song we referenced at the beginning, the final lyrics or some of the later lyrics in that song say, for what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. I never even noticed that line was in there before, did you? To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. I did it my way. We want salvation. We want relationship with God. We just don't want to kneel and submit to Jesus as Lord at times. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to knowing God, we've got to come on his terms and not our terms. I go to the doctor, I tell him my symptoms, I don't tell him my disease and prescribe my own medication. I go and I say, this is my problem. You tell me how to fix it. I go to my maker and my creator. This is my problem. I am a sinner. I have shame. I have guilt. I have sins. I am separated from God. How do I fix it? God's response is, you can't fix it. But if you will put your faith in Jesus, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you and anyone else who accepts that will receive salvation. And those are the terms that God offers. And the question for you and I today is if you want to know God and sitting in a church on a Sunday morning, I'll make the assumption that you probably do. Will it be on his terms or your terms? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come before you today and we, God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the gift of just being here together, the gift of exploring your word together, of listening, of discerning it, of hearing it. Lord, I pray for every man and woman and young person in this room today that we would hear your voice even as we listen to your word this morning. Father, that we would examine our own hearts because often we are ignorant to the times we have put our own terms in the deal or we have tried to change your terms. Lord, I ask that you would help us to approach you with humility on your terms, that we would accept the invitation and the offer that you are given. And if you're here this morning, this would be a 
great moment in the service without people looking around just for you to take some time with yourself and God and ask yourself the question, have I really come to God on his terms or my terms? Is my trust really in Jesus or is it in my own actions, my own work, my own goodness? Have I really confessed Jesus as the Lord of my life? And do I live with him as the complete Lord of my life? And if you haven't done that and this morning you'd like to take that step, I just spent the last half hour telling you it's not complicated. God did not make it hard. In fact, he made it really simple that you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you've never done that, you want to do that this morning, I encourage you right where you are to just tell him, Jesus, you are Lord of my life and that I will trust you and follow you with everything that I have. All the days of my life, everything that you give me, I will trust you and follow you and you are Lord of my life. And when you do that, there's no magic words. There's no, the, the, when you do that in that moment, the Bible says everyone who does that will be saved. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us, Lord, to humbly approach you. And I pray for that man, that woman, who even now is considering that who is considering your invitation, who is considering the terms that you are offering. Lord, I ask that you would speak to their heart in a way that I cannot because you and you alone know the questions and the roadblocks and the things that have kept them prior to this point to accepting your invitation and to following you as Lord. I ask that your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts Show us your love for us. Show us how much you really want to be with us. In fact, you've made it so simple. You've done all the work. All you're asking is, do you want to be with me? And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning, that man or that woman who's thinking, considering it and thinking about it, that you would give them the strength to humbly accept your invitation. Father, we love you. May we never be people who put additional terms or conditions on knowing or following Jesus. We want to follow you with our whole heart, mind, and soul because Jesus is Lord. Amen.